Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast describing the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith. I write the comic Kadoja in addition to reviewing horror books and horror comics on my blog, KeithRFoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. Right, you are. Boom. It's exactly so clear and yeah. concise. Yeah. So, it, it, I know. We, <laughs> With our, our sweet Apple we're, mic we're, quality. We're fucking... <laughs> we, are, we are machines right now. I know, man. <laughs> we, we've completely mastered this. So, um, what was your week like, man? Tell me. Uh, it was, it's been a good week. Uh, I can't complain as far as uh, everything non-comic wise. Uh, you know, I'm getting getting healthy again, working out and stuff like that. So I actually feel better. And I think it's helped my comic process. Like, I think for the last couple of weeks, I've felt kind of sluggish and unmotivated at times. But I think uh, the physical aspect of everyday life helps a lot as well. So, you know, eating a little bit cleaner and then starting to work out again, it's kind of motivated me to work, work a little harder on the books. So, um, so that's, that's been a nice side effect. And, um, as far as the books go, I had turned in the first rough draft of the script to my, my normal writer, uh, Ed. And so, like I said, on the previous episode, he was, he's working kind of as a kind of editor role or, or writing, writing assists. I don't, I don't really know how to, to, that's what I put in the credits. I'm like a writing assists. Um, but anyway, he's, he's looking over the script and kind of, he's already given me some feedback as well as like some rewrites that he thought would help. And uh, so as far as our process goes, this is kind of, in a way, it's kind of normal. It's, it's kind of like what we normally do, but it's in the reverse. So usually he'll write the script and, you know, like along with the art, and then I'll go, go through it and I'll tweak it. And then so we'll meet somewhere in the middle. So this is kind of a reversal of the roles. Uh, so, so it's interesting. It, it's definitely uh, different, you know, just like, I've said it previously, I don't know if on the podcast or just to you and Ed, it's like, look, I'm not a, I'm not a writer, but I'm a good rewriter. I can read something and go, it doesn't sound exactly right. I think if we do this, this sounds better. So it's interesting trying to write the script all on my own and seeing where that lands and then seeing Ed's take on what I said. So uh, that's been pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I feel like... I hope I'm not repeating myself from something I've said on the podcast again, maybe to you. People know editing and writing better than they give themselves credit, right? Like to to be able to do editing and writing requires craft, obviously, but you're going to you can learn craft. Um instincts get learned over time. You've been a reader for a very long time. You've you've been into comics for a very long time. You've read all kinds of things every day for a very long time. So that's going to give you a really nice innate sense of skills. And everybody has this, right? Um, as long as they're out there reading and stuff. The number one thing writers say, if, if people are like, how do I become a good writer? Read. The number one thing is just read. Yeah. You have these really good instincts and you are leveling up um, the craft around them as well, right? You've, you've obviously... You're no stranger to the craft, and it continues to grow probably as you've talked with Ed, as you've gotten into like the writer side and getting into, again, technique things, you know, things that that are vocabulary Mm -hmm. around the everyday things that you always do. Mm -hmm. And once you can use that vocabulary, you're in a really good spot. Yeah. And and it continues to kind of upward spiral is one of my favorite phrases. Right. And and just over the years, too, not only have I looked into 
you know, things that artists do to improve what they're what they're doing um, to to make sure what they're doing is precise. And um, I don't know, like like Quentin. Oh, his, no, it wasn't Quentin Tarantino. He's not a good example of it. <laughs> there was a writer that said for dialogue, if if you are not sure if the dialogue is good, try reading it out loud. So I've always taken that uh, to effect. Quentin Tarantino is the opposite of that. Like you see his dialogue on paper and you're like, what the fuck is this? But then you hear the way he directs characters to do it. Then you're like, okay, it makes sense the way he has them do it. So um, yeah, so I always take that to heart when I'm uh, reading scripts or reading books in general. And it's like, okay, what would this sound like out loud? Would it sound cheesy as hell or would it sound all right? Golden rule is absolutely read the shit out loud. Mm-hmm. That is a very easy thing to do for anybody that's writing, you know, yeah. read, read the goddamn thing out loud. And it is a, it, it seems obvious. It seems, you know, to your point, like you're saying you do it, you do it. It's, it's, it's shocking. The difference of the, the, how dialogue can change on the journey from your brain to the mouth, you know, and to use an example I'm I'm going to take a shot at a movie that I think was quite obvious in that is Sin City, right? I loved the graphic novel Sin City, and I thought it was like great and noirish and all that stuff. When it got turned into a movie, it was just clumsy and ham-fisted, and it's a notorious thing. It is a shot-by-shot, word-by-word redo of the Sin City book. Right, that was uh, that was a selling point. Uh, is it Robbie Rodriguez that directed it? Yes. That was a selling point to Frank Miller was hey, I want to show you something, like him and Josh Hartnett. Robbie went up to Frank and was like, I want to show you something. And he showed him basically scenes from Sin City um, with, with his characters, just with actors. And that's what sold him on it. So, And again, look, there's there's redeeming. It's, it, this is not an all-the-way dump on Sin City. It's just that the dialogue makes me made me cringe <laughs> out loud. I, do you remember when that came out? Oh, must have been a long time ago, man. Because I remember liking it, and, and I might have been... Uh, a teenager. So at that time, it just might have been fine. And I might have been reading Sin City, you know, a few years prior to that. So the fact that it was a comic movie, and it was so true to the source material, like, as a comic fan, I was geeking out on it, you know? Yeah. Well, and and, and again, this this might explain, this might be one of those things where the difference in our ages becomes a little apparent because I worship that thing as a comic. Like when it came out as individual issues, I grabbed them all up. I was just like, this thing is the next thing Mm -hmm. changes the paradigm. I love the way he uses only black and white, pure shades. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no shading there. If I remember right, it's just black and white. And that's why I just thought that was so brilliant. So, so to worship that on the page and then see it, come out on the screen it's it's time for the star wars reference so drink up (laughs) it it goes back to the famous line harrison ford said to george lucas you can write this shit george but you sure as hell can't say it when he was stumbling (laughs) over some dialogue that's great i never heard that (laughs) that's awesome and i am uh i am having shot shot worth uh, of stuff today uh, well, four shots worth. Yeah, I, I have a beer right now, and I went ahead and drank to my own reference. So I didn't even. Uh, I ran out of beer, so I'm drinking like these ice. Do you know what those ice drinks? Those ice seltzer waters. The brand is called Ice. I'm sorry, that's always confusing <laughs> to people. So I have that and four shots of vodka, and it's 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 pretty nice. So I took a a nice little sip. And, okay, so wait a minute. You not only ran out of beer, you ran out of beer and White Claw. No, I still have White Claw. I have White Claw. I just, I was like, you know oh, what? You do. Yeah, I'm going to mix it up. Okay. I'm going to mix it up. Okay. Why not? 
I feel like next week you're going to be like, I'm out of beer, White Claw, and vodka, so I shot up. <laughs> I'm on heroin right now. <laughs> Let's do this podcast. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. So. This is going to be wild. I can't wait to re-listen to it. <laughs> um, okay, so so the golden rule, it, it for sure works when you're reading scripts and, and all of that. Um, but I will say reading what Ed had sent back to me, there was some bombast there that was missing from my script. So, Mm. you know, it's just like, okay, okay. Like, okay, I could see what he's doing here. Like, uh, there's a scene where it's, it's the news and they're reporting. And I just, it was too meat and potatoes. What I had, like it had, you know, breaking news, this is happening, blah, blah, blah. And Ed just put a little, little spit shine on it. And um, so, so I liked that, and I, I included that stuff. I tweaked it a little, but then there was also stuff that that was a little too bombastic for me. I was like, okay, this this is a little too far, but it's okay. You know, we we do that all the time. It's like, okay, sure, I'll either I'll either go too far, or he will, and, and we'll meet in the middle. So um, mm-hmm. it's been a good process. Uh, I got all the pages back from my colorist. They're beautiful. He's trying a completely different coloring technique out. Is this something I had mentioned? I don't know if I had mentioned this on the pod. No, I don't remember hearing this before. Okay, so issues one through nine of the second shift, it's very uh, standard American style coloring, uh, you know, with cuts and whatnot. And he, in the last last issue, I had posted online that I like these couple of panels because it has this anime manga meets uh, Western comic books feel. And that's where I want to be, kind of like uh, J. Scott Campbell and you know, meets, uh, uh, something with, uh, well, Simone DeMaio is the only one I have reference for. He's, he's like a, one of my new favorite artists. I've, I've mentioned a couple of times uh, on the pod. Uh, and so it's kind of falling somewhere in between those two guys. And my color saw that and he goes, Hey, I want to try this new technique out. I use it on another book. It's and the book he showed me, it was very cartoony, but he thinks that uh, the coloring style will work really well with mine. And so in this, you know, on this issue, he was like, Hey, I want to try this new coloring technique out, check out these pages. And so he had done a couple of the pages in that, in that technique. And, and I was like, you know, what the heck, this is an experimental project anyway, this issue was. So let's experiment with the color as well. And after getting a few pages, I was like, I'm not sure that I like it. I don't dislike it in it. And I like the colors he's picking, but I'm not sure yet. And it was just one of those things. The more pages I got, the more and more I liked it. And it was just one of those things of familiarity. I knew the other style so well. To see it change, it was just hard for me to adapt to it. So, But but after like five or six pages, I'm, I kept showing them to Ed. And I was like, I think I'm on board. I think I'm on board for this style. So um, we'll see how the rest of the series goes. And uh, yeah, so he's turning them in. They're beautiful. And definitely a lot different than the first nine issues. Nice. nice. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've done it yet, but uh, if you plan on taking the opportunity to post a colored page online, that would be super cool. I know I'd like to see it. Yeah, for sure. I want to post a couple of... I'm going to post one that is hasn't been altered. Like, I kind of want to save the pages that have been turned into paneled pages. I kind of want to save those for the Kickstarter itself, but I definitely will put a couple of the splash pages up and have people check those sure, out man. yeah so um yeah that's that's pretty much it that's what i've been doing this week and it's been exciting i 
did uh, all the edits that Ed had sent over, and I, I put my own spin on it and sent those back to my buddy Tristan, and he's going to create some PDFs for me and uh, send it back to Ed and see see where we're at. While you were talking about that, it reminded me of, and we can segue a little bit into something that I was pleased to see happen through the week, which is I'd been sitting on it on the news for a little while, but um, my first review got posted at iHorror.com, which I'm really happy about. I reviewed a uh, an excellent horror novel called The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. And to go a little bit editing kind of inside baseball there, when I got my comments back from the editor, there were just a few tiny little cuts. And God damn it if they didn't make the sentences pop that much more. You know, and I was thinking about that as you were talking about the changes where Ed was making some things more bombastic, but then other things you were like, no, no, no. You know, in this case, 100% of the recommended changes were done. Yeah, It was just like, oh man, yeah, that's a no brainer. That's a great change. So it, it is really interesting that just a word here, a couple words there can really make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's and that and that's I've done that with Travis as well. When Travis was first starting off, uh, tra- for the people at home, Travis is uh, another writer from the Accidental Aliens group. And so when he was first starting out, it was the same thing where you know he was new to new to all of it, and I had been doing it for a few years at that point. And it was easy for me to go through a script and go, look, hey, this is see when you do this, this happens. Like, okay, you're just describing what's happening in this panel. But the art already shows you that. So you don't need to tell the audience that it's already there. So I was like, just look out for stuff like that. And the next script I got from him, it was all cleaned up. It was nice and tight. And so, you know, a second set of eyes really helps out. In any process, the value of having someone whose opinion you trust and who you're willing to listen to if they make changes, big, big, big value. You know, just mm-hmm. the ability to to have someone say this sort of works, this doesn't work, et cetera, et cetera. And for you to incorporate those changes, if you feel they're fit, absolutely huge. Yeah. It's, it's like working in a echo chamber when it's just you doing everything, you know, not to say that it's wrong to want to do everything, but an editor really helps, you know, or just, just a second set of eyes to go, Hey, I don't know if you notice this because a lot of times you don't, you're so, you're so deep into the, you know, the weeds that, you don't see these obvious things that are sticking out that are glaring. And um, yeah, that, that actually happened last night. I was so overwhelmed with the beautiful colors of my colorist. Uh, when he was sending me the pages, there was just like a, a color. One of the characters, he had a part of his costume that was miscolored. And, and I went back through all the pages and they were all miscolored. But it was just like, mm. I was so focused on the overall product that like the little things like you miss little things sometimes and rechecking things or you know having someone else check it out really helps so um he's gonna go over and and adjust those things but yeah man that that was it that was my week um that took a large point oh no actually it is i'm sorry i got one more thing and so yeah what had been building up for the last few months was commissions and so thankfully Mm. i unloaded a decent amount of commissions i do um not graphic design work i do like figure drawings like actual figures this company it's a wrestling company it's called pro wrestling loot i do um toy toy designs for them so i designed i think two or three different toys and a couple of pins um, that he's going to have made so i knocked those out over the week and you know made some dough and definitely took some weight off my back so 
So that's it. That's my weekly reports. What's going on with you? So are you all the way caught up with commissions? Do you have any pending or are you actually completely caught up? It, it's like a, it's like comics. Like once you finish it, you know that you have to do the next issue. It's basically the same thing with uh, two of my clients. Um, I have to do another, the commission that I did, the pointillism one, I have to do another one for him. It's not pointillism this time around. It's something else. So that's pending for January. He knows he knows I won't be working on it until January. So that's fine. Uh, but the Pro Wrestling Loot, I have, I think, six more commissions to do for him. So six more pending jobs. So it's, it's you know, it, it's a grind. It's always going to be there, basically. So in terms of my week, what... I've been working on since a lot of my comics projects have kind of, you know, I've hit the tennis ball over the net in a way of speaking. I'm working on ideas for my second novel. And so what's going to happen is in a month or two, I'm going to get back notes from novel number one, which I'm still working on. And then at that point, I will ideally work on novel number one, get it completed, and then start the next level of the process, which is try to get the novel, I suppose, uh, you know, get re- get it represented and, and ideally get it sold. Right on. How hard is that? How hard is that to do to find like an agent or representative? The exact phrase is you have no idea how high the bar is. That is the exact phrase. Mm. And um, but but this is also look, this is why I signed up for the writing classes. This is why I've taken to the person who is my teacher slash mentor this is what this is why i participate in a writing group of people from my novel master class where we keep on workshopping each other's novels right i mean the point is to understand how good you need to be to get published and then be that good right and it's it's not easy um, but, uh, but who said life has to be easy? I would say it's the exact same for comics. Comics is the same way, you know, like we can, we can all create comics at our leisure. We can do it, you know, as much effort as you put into create a comic, you can make it, but to have it get picked up by, um, you know, a big company or something like that, it's, you know, it's a feat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And well, in the comics business too, it's, it's so much more difficult because in a way, because Marvel and DC have zero interest in your fucking idea, for lack of mm-hmm. a better way to put it, right? Right, they and, and, nor, and, and it goes the other way as, as well. Like, I have zero interest at giving my creative properties to Marvel and DC and not own them, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, Marvel and DC have built empires of billions of dollars on the characters they own. They do not care about yours, right? And I don't say that in any kind of mean way. It's just the truth. So immediately, if you want to get your original property or original idea published by a big company, there are two. There is Image and there is Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. If you want to make an argument for some of the guys that are really making strong pushes to come up, like Boom, like Oni. IDW, Black Mask, those are the other ones, yeah. IDW does so many licensed properties. I, f- I sometimes forget that they do original properties. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, just but, like, but just I like know Dynamite. That... Dynamite is mainly licensed properties as well. Yeah. 
Exactly. And, and, you know, licensing butters a lot of these companies' breads, and that's fine, man. That's that's the comics industry. That's that's yeah. a rant for another day, I suppose. It's especially difficult if you're trying to pitch a superhero book. Like, Image hasn't been interested in superheroes since the 90s. You know, Kirkman got Invincible in, um, I think he was, I can't remember if he was doing Walking Dead or Invincible first, but he had already been working for Image for quite a while before he got Invincible greenlit. So yeah, that's that's a task in itself. And Dark Horse, they're not really a superhero uh, label, and neither is IDW or or uh, yeah, you know, Boom. I don't believe either. So I'm running uphill basically the whole time. But you know, it, it the the process makes it worth it to me. It's like okay, I'm getting stronger as a creator, um, as an artist. So um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like I'll I'll still have the books printed and published, and you know, it's just a matter of Will it get into a big studio or, or um, you know, will I continue to self-publish? So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and, and we've riffed on this before. I think it's an interesting thing to mention again that when we've sat next to each other at conventions, we both have somewhat unique things about our book, right? In that you do a superhero book. So the good news for you is that anywhere from 60 to 80% of the people that walk through the door of a convention are predisposed to like your superhero book, right? However, the issue is to get them to like your superhero book because it is a crowded field. It is a cluttered field. You are walking in footsteps of giants. That is your particular conundrum, right? Mm -hmm. My particular conundrum by doing a giant monster slash horror comic is... One to three percent of the people that walk through the door of a convention <laughs> are going to like are going to be predisposed to like my book, but I'm probably going to get a higher hit rate of those people because mm-hmm. once they see its giant monsters, they're going to be like, "Oh my god, somebody else likes giant monsters because that's why I did the book." It it ends up in the same place, but it gets there quite differently. If that makes yes. sense. Yep, one hundred percent. And you and and it yeah. helps to have like a good solid pitch on it. It's something that I've changed over the years with second shift. Like initially it was uh, minimum wage superheroes, but then that was misleading because it wasn't a book about minimum wage. It, sound, it made it sound like they got paid to be superheroes. Like they get paid, mm. you know, 1076 to be a superhero, you know, per hour. But yeah. it's like, okay, that's not what it is. They have day jobs, which is half of the book. And then the other half is superheroing. So it's just like, okay, I yeah. had to change it. So it's, you know, minimum wage workers during the day superheroes at night. So that makes it a quick pitch and an accurate pitch. And and to me, that's important. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, some, sometimes 10 words is all you get. So to get back to the week, I was working on the second novel, but as you work through stuff, right? Like this kind of goes back to one of my big rules of parenting. Um, I have stepdaughters. What happens when you become a, a parent and I think you probably have a lot of this extent with your goddaughter too, is you incorporate. So what happens is the things you loved that your parents did, you make sure to do those. And the things mm-hmm. that drove you crazy that your parents did, you do a 180 on them. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you You're make like, sure to not do that. Yeah. Exactly. You make you make sure to, um, to amend that historical wrong to you, <laughs> the perceived mm-hmm. historical wrong. Writing novels has mirrored that for me in a way in that while I am very, very happy with my first novel as a work in process and I know it can get even better, 
the mistake that I made, or at least the thing that I'm going to go 180 on, I don't want to call it a mistake. I'm going to call it the thing that I'm going to diametrically oppose here is I went plot before character. And so for this novel, it is going to be all character. So what I am doing every day is I am still trying to meet my word count every day in addition to all the comic stuff that I'm doing, Mm -hmm. but I am doing nothing but character sketches, character writing, fake scenes involving the characters that may not ever even make the book and just things that help deepen my understanding of these characters so that when it's time for me to hit this second novel, you know, a year from now, once the first novel is done, I'm ready to go. And these characters feel three-dimensional to me. Have you ever have you ever seen Shit's Creek? No, no. I did see that you ran through that series and you commented on it online, though. Yeah. So Eugene Levy and his son, Daniel Levy, they created the show. And so I burned through it. So if you guys out there, if you haven't seen it, it's a fantastic show. Give it a watch. It's six seasons. Uh, it's sitcom style. So about 22 minutes per episode. And uh, it's so, so good. Uh, when you first start watching it, it just seems like a regular sitcom, you know, like Friends or whatever. But the character development that runs through those six seasons, it, it's tremendous. You know, the, the characters have so much growth by the end. And um, once you finish it, something else pops up on Netflix. It says uh, it's, I think it's Well Wishes or something like that. And it's basically the making of season six. And it takes you behind the scenes. And uh, one of the things that they talked about a lot was three-dimensionalizing the characters, figuring out who they were before anything got done. They're like, okay, well, you know, Daniel was ready to move on, but Eugene would, would tell him, no, 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 we're not done yet. We need to keep delving into the characters. So uh, every time Daniel wanted to move on, he said, we're almost there. We're not there yet. So it, that just yeah. reminded me that, and, and and that was the whole thing with that show was the character development. So the fact that they knew who they were from the very beginning and then who they would be at the end, like it was so important to the story. So so that's amazing to hear that that's something you're doing. And, and you realized it. You were like, okay, this is a course correction. I focus purely on, you know, where the story was going and not who the characters were. And, and now you want to course correct again. So it's, that's, that's really great to hear. I mean, there's a, there's a famous adage out there. Plot is character. We mentioned something a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I was talking about it when I I mentioned that I'm protective of my ideas because while there is, quote, nothing new under the sun, um, I get protective about my stuff sometimes, right? As in all the time. Rightfully so. However, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I just, again, once it's out in the world, I'll talk your ear off about it. But until it's out in the world, I'm going to be protective because... While it while it's not exactly a new idea, maybe that shade or that variant of the idea is a bit underexplored or underrepresented. And to know me is to know that I'm only going to seek out underexplored or underrepresented things, because if a bunch of people have told great stories about them, then why do I need to tell one? What the hell's the point? You know, 100 percent behind you. It's uh, I was definitely that way. There's there's tons of villains that me and Ed have coming in in upcoming storylines, storylines that we've never mentioned, uh, but we have them coming. We're, we're not going to say anything until they're actually out. And uh, yeah. like one of the biggest ones for us was the taxidermist. You know, the taxidermist was a character that 
I've been like champing at the bit to do. And he finally showed up in issue nine. And ever since then, it's just like, oh yeah, this guy's great. You know, he reanimates, um, you know, dead animals and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, uh, you know, he's, he's an amazing character. So, um, we had him under wraps for seven years. So, you know, I hadn't mentioned him to anyone in seven years. So, so I get it. While there are no new ideas under the sun, the way that you make your idea yours and the way that you make people care about your story is most likely going to be character. And that's why character is so important, right? So to wrap up what I'm working on, to wrap up Shit's Creek, that's, you know, you, you can't go wrong over exploring your characters, right? And again, that is to your point, thank you. You know, that's a learning from the first novel where the overall plot of the book I, I was just, you know, you, you put it on ice. And if you remember, yeah, man, we were actually talking at WonderCon 2020, which feels like it was. Is that right? WonderCon 2020? Yeah, I think it was the previous draft. No, no, 2019. It was 2019. That makes way yeah. more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2020 didn't happen. So it was 2019, right? And I and mm-hmm. I came in and I was just like, screw it. I'm going to go and visit, even though I'm not going to table. A last minute table popped up and I was like, nah. Because that was the weekend where I had written the first draft of my novel and it was time to dethaw it and read it through as quickly as I could and get the large vibe from it. When I did that, I realized that I had been so driven by plot that me as a writer was being too much of a puppeteer and things didn't feel enough like the organic action of characters. It's taken a a good amount of time to fix that. We will see if it's fixed or not. I know I'm still working on it, but uh, it's important to at least see it, right? I think, as you mentioned Mm -hmm. a little while ago. And that's why I am, again, doing a 180 from that for this. And I just want to have these characters that feel very fleshed out so that when it's time to hit the second novel, I don't take three, four, five years to do it. Maybe I take less because I've thought through character, right? So right. we will yeah, see where absolutely. that goes. But uh, man, it's fun as hell. It's fun as hell. Yeah. It's also just fun as hell to write with no constraints, to not to not sit down and write and think, wow, I really want this to be in the final novel. No, it's just like, I'm writing to write. I'm writing to understand myself. I'm writing to understand my characters. I'm writing to write, you know? And I think that in mm-hmm. a way, that's kind of the greatest joy when you, you're just doing it because you want to do it. it. You know, and that's something uh, from the artist's perspective on that. It's like with the second, the second shift characters by, I think, I want to say by issue five, Four to five, I had the characters' likenesses down. It's so funny. I was sending my colorist some examples of the villain, LaGrange, in this issue 11. Uh, I was sending him screen caps from the first issue and saying, hey, can you do the powers like this, but can you make it more like more in this way, make it grander or whatever? And he goes, oh, man, my coloring from issue one is is so bad compared to now he goes my my skills have improved so much and he and i was like yeah my drawing too and he goes i wasn't going to say but he goes that your your drawing of of the villain in issue one looks nothing like what he looks like now and it's because it took me a while to nail down those details um and i've heard other artists talk about this um in in podcasts as well after time you nail down your characters and and um like they look unrecognizable to you when you see previous iterations that you had drawn. You're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like his nose looks nothing like that now, you know? And, and so they're just from the artist side of it, it's something that you really need to do as well. You need to take the time 
and carve out those characters, you know, just those details, like how big are their eyes, their nose, uh, things like that, you know, face shape, lip, lip size. So, um, yeah, very important. So, yeah, man, we've, we've kind of meandered a while here. So, um, so why don't we go ahead and get to some questions? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so it looks like you got a couple of questions in before we get to those, anyone in the audience, if you have some questions, about making comics that we haven't talked about yet, maybe we just touched on it a little bit and you want us to go more in depth, feel free to email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. And so we'll read your questions on the air, quote unquote, uh, on the episode and uh, give you the best answers we can expand or freshly talk about. So um, Keith got got a couple for us now and he's going to take it away. I will mention, I was about to say, we're not going to answer preposterous questions, but there's a good chance we might answer preposterous questions. I was going to say, I wasn't taking that off the table. Yeah, yeah. Preposterous <laughs> is our specialty, right? Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Whatever you feel like asking. Yeah, please hit us up at the email and let us know. I mean, we're also reachable through a bunch of other methods, but uh, we did get that email cranking just so people can can submit the question. So please do that. I actually got two from my man, Brian Clark, um, who I've met through Godzilla conventions. Awesome dude. So the first one is is more of a, I think, a a writer thing. But the second one will be interesting to hear your perspective as well. So the first one is, his exact question is, I imagine part of it is better access to such things because of where you live. But how do you go about finding something like that? And of course, where I live is Southern California, which has a bedrock of entertainment industry, which is nice, right? And I go to UCLA, right? So um, I've, I obviously went to undergrad and grad school elsewhere, but when it comes to the creative side, I am attending the UCLA extension. Um, but, but the interesting thing is, even pre-pandemic, you can go about finding places like that by just looking online. The, the internet, and, and I think in a lot of ways, maybe University of Phoenix kind of started this whole thing, but people are realizing that online access is a big deal. And so yeah, the cool absolutely. thing is, if if you listening absolutely wherever you are right now want to attend the UCLA Writers Extension, you can do that. You might have to keep some weird hours. You might not because some classes are <laughs> live time Southern California and some are merely, you know, videos that you need to review and then do your homework. My kids both go to school, one in San Diego College, one in San Diego, one in New York. Sometimes they need to be live for their classes and sometimes they don't. And it's just a series of videos and deliverables and engagement. I actually, after a couple of days, I mentioned it back to Brian that while he's in Iowa, he's not particularly close to wherever the University of Iowa is. I'm not a big um, Iowa geography major, but he mentioned it's a couple hours away. University of Iowa is known as like the godfather of modern creative writing. And there's a lot of discussion these days about maybe their model isn't perfect for every scenario. Maybe their model is antiquated. Maybe there are better models, etc. But they are definitely the godfather of like the workshop structure. Um, and they've been doing that for a very long time. So if anybody out there wants to get out there and like we were talking before, getting extra people, getting extra sets of eyes on your work is so important and it's going to make it better. You just have to realize you're going to need to check your ego at the door. 
as long as you can do those things, you'll be in great shape. And there are a myriad of programs out there that you can attend online without even leaving your house. Boom. Covered it. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Bitch. And, and for the artists out there, um, you know, there's tons of online classes too. I'm sure there's instructors and I know there is for a fact. I see videos all the time of artists uh, saying, hey, if you want to take my courses, you know, go to my site or whatever. So just Google, um, you know, Google art instruction, you know, comic art instruction, you'll, you're bound to find stuff. And if finances are an issue, YouTube, you know, if you're in, if, I know write, writing is a little different. I think actually speaking with the instructor would help a lot. But uh, for artists, you can definitely go on YouTube if you're having troubles doing certain things like just the basics or whatever. There's so many different artists out there giving great information for free. Um, David Finch, um, a pro 20 years in the business, maybe more, he has a YouTube channel and it's very helpful. Um, I've been drawing for a long time now, but watching his channel, I was picking up new things that I didn't know before. So. Uh, if if uh, you want some help or if you're just into watching artists draw, look up David Finch. His stuff's fantastic. Very cool. Very cool, man. Yeah, see, and that's, that's super helpful. And this is where it gets down to people's individual learning style. You know, something I learned about myself 15 years ago, maybe more, is that if I don't have an actual human being to be accountable to, it ain't going to work. I am not mm-hmm. a video watcher. I am not a on-your-own kind of person like... Let me have an actual human being that makes me accountable to something and I will do it. I need that. And and we all are different, right? Like it sounds like you are a little bit more independently kind of driven like that, right? Like you don't necessarily need somebody. You can go watch a bunch of videos and, and kill it, right? Yeah, certain things, man. Certain things I can for sure. Um, I, there are aspects to like lettering, for instance. I would really love to pick my buddy Tristan's brain as I'm doing it. And to see how I can improve, but I can get the general gist of it. I can get the basics down, and then I do like to have an instructor or someone that's just more knowledgeable than I am to be there and uh, just pick their brain and go, okay, hey, how do I do this? Am I doing this right? You know, is there a better way to do this? Is there a quicker way to do this? Um, but yeah, overall, I think I can pick up uh, certain things, certain things on my own. Nice, nice. Good, good stuff. So let's move on to the second question. Again, this is from from Brian Clark. Uh, another question would be, what are your script pages like? Now, it's worth noting that this was, I think, before, um, you know, we do have a little bit of a delay here. So this was before we really started talking about lettering and scripts and things like that. But uh, he mentioned, what are your script pages like? I've read several different labels, outlines, and various writer samples as trade extras, and it seems everyone is very different. Some are super detailed, some are very sparse. What little I've written, blah, blah, blah. So then he, he then mentions um, his, his own stuff that he's, that he's working on, which is, which is also interesting, of course. And, and I'm thinking about that because I was listening back to one of our episodes where I shout out um, Brian Michael Bendis. And yep. what I realized is the easiest way for me to answer this is to go ahead and, and do it. So by the time this episode airs, I will have put a couple sample script pages as well as the art with dialogue in it on um, keithrfoster.com. And I will put links to it in the show notes by then and everybody will be able to take a look. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two different artists because we talked about it last week or a couple weeks ago, right? That it's so much about the dynamic. You know, you mentioned the Snyder Capullo dynamic. 
I, of course, mentioned how the dynamic was different with Rory than it is with Works for Hire. You mentioned you and Ed, right? Like there, there yeah, are a bunch episode of different four ways to do it. For the, for the listeners yeah, out episode there, episode four. four. That's right. Episode four is, is a good resource for that. But in this case, too, why not have us be a little bit of a resource, too? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up, again, a, a reference page of me and Rory and then a reference page of myself and Alberto, just to give you a different idea of a loose relationship versus a little bit more of a uh, tight relationship regarding panel direction. Yep, and I'll do that as well. I will stick a, a page of Ed's script up there and uh, what what it ends up looking like. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And and that brings me to, to your part, right? Which is, as an artist, what have you seen? Right. Has it only been you and Ed? Have you seen a few more things? Do you have a little bit more exposure to some of your fellow accidental aliens people? Do people have different preferences, etc.? Where, where, what have you seen? Well, when when Ed and I first started, we had no idea what we were doing. So he was basically giving me prose style, so uh, or books like a, a book style um, for for those who know all the terms. So yeah, he was giving me a prose prose version of the script and I would just visualize it as I was reading it and then kind of block panels out. So that's how I was thumbnailing what like the reason why we had to change it however was I would end up thumbnailing it all out and it would be like 28 pages. I was like, "Hey man, this is I'm not fast and this is killing a lot of time doing it this way. I'm going to really need you to start breaking up the the panels." Um you don't need to give me direction or anything like that. But I just need to know how many panels are going to be on each page. So when I'm reading it, I can visualize it as that page. And I can get an idea overall layout and composition. And once we started doing that, it made the process so much faster. And the only other person that I had uh, uh, worked with was Travis. And Travis had already read a ton of books on how to make comics. So he knew how he was supposed to lay the pages out. So he was actually the first person I had um, uh, read a script off of that was the normal comic book method. And so I, I told Ed, I said, hey, we got to start working this way because it was way faster. You know, I can also obviously tweak it. You know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't need this panel, but at least I know what's going on the page. And I can always add panels as well. So it, it creates more of a free form um, in the sense where I I have the freedom of knowing what's what happens in panel one and what happens at the end of the page i can create whatever i want within those panels to make it something that i want or i can just follow his 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 um, direction so uh, yeah those are those are the only two aspects i've had nice well yeah. uh with that i think i think that's that's the end of the question segment so again for those out there you got any questions curiosities would you like to talk star wars with us we have plenty of things to say so uh so yeah man please please feel free to fire off your questions although there's there's just no way that i'm going to last um until the the question segment to to make my first star wars reference i just can't see that being possible no i don't i don't see all that. right so shall we shall we shall we close this bad boy off let's do it Let's do it up. All right, man. Hit, do me, it out. hit me with uh, your social media. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, for me, I'm on Instagram at Keith underscore Decibel for just me and Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word for Kadoja. And you could find my comics, The Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, 
superheroes at night, and Wanderers of Melisande, humans versus anthropomorphic dinosaurs at accidentalaliens.com, as well as other accidental alien titles. Rock and roll, man. And I review horror, and uh, so I not only review horror there, but you can also find Kadoja and the Kadoja store at keitharfoster.com. Nice and easy. So, my man, until next time. Always a pleasure.